Hello and welcome to another episode of View from the Gallagher, the best Newcastle United fan podcast. I'm your host, Ian Smith, the Newcastle United season ticket holder in the Gallagher end, of course. And this week I'm joined by two other Gallagher enders, Gordon and Lee. And Lee, you've only just moved back to the Gallagher after a stint in level seven. How does it feel to be back in the best stand in world football? It's fair to say the atmosphere is a bit different, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's mint. It's um, literally not far away from where I used to stand in the scoreboard. It is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it feels like going home after a long, long time. Yeah. How long have you not been in the Gallagher ever for? Um, I haven't been in the Gallagher since the late 80s. I haven't been right. that long. I, I was 16, 17 the last time I stood on the Gallagher, and then I moved um, to the Midlands and what have you, and all of the games I went to subsequent to that were in seats. So, yeah, it's nice to be back at, back home, as I call it. And uh, Gordon, you've been in the Gallagher End a little bit longer than that. Um, you've been in the <laughs> Gallagher End for, I don't even know how many years, since it was built as in its current iteration. I'm not that old. <laughs> you mean the Gallagher as it is now, or do you mean the Gallagher as it was before? Because, I mean, I've been I going did, since I, I was... In its current state. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I was Gallagher um, um, originally from... From 1972 onwards, when I, when I saw it work and I went in the Gallagher end, and it was always the Gallagher. Um, I just I just loved it there. Um, the the one season we had out the Gallagher was, of course, the season that uh, we got promoted when we stayed were in the West Stand paddock, and then we moved right. to Leeds' end where it was built, and then we were lucky enough to be able to get tickets back in the Gallagher end when it opened in 1994. Yeah, I think it was 94, wasn't it? It's going to be a 30th anniversary yeah. next year. It's mad, yeah. So we sat in there for 30 years. Yeah, my first season ticket obviously was in the Milburn paddock. Um, just, mm. just to the, I suppose, the right as you look at it, or the left is if you were sat in it of the dugouts. Very, very different um, at that yeah. point. And obviously, the dugouts have uh, changed again this week by all accounts. They're going to be new ones for the Champions League spec ones. I don't know what that means, Lee. Do you? Any idea? Not got a clue. I heard rumours that they were building a stanchion at the back of it so a mad dog could stand up on the back <laughs> of it and wind um, Jürgen Klopp up this Sunday. Yeah. I'm, hoping, I'm hoping that's the case. I can't see it. Though. Yeah, well, we've got loads coming up on this show. So, obviously, we will talk about the Liverpool game. We're going to dip into the Man City game. We're going to talk a little bit about the Amazon Prime documentary because there's three episodes that most people have seen three episodes. We'll talk a little bit about how some people have actually seen all four. Um, and then we're going to talk about our unpopular Newcastle opinions as well. Uh, <laughs> so that should be quite fun. I've got a couple. Well, I've got three, but I've got one that's definitely very controversial. So um, <laughs> that should be quite fun. So we'll get into that in a little bit later on. Let's kick off with some news, though, and um, quite a bit of transfer news to report today with outcast winger Ryan Fraser joining Southampton on loan, but also rumours that club captain Jamal Lascelles could be moving to Turkish side Besiktas. And Isaac Hayden might be moving to Luton. Uh, let's start with the one that has happened first, though. Ryan Fraser's gone on loan to Southampton. What are your thoughts on that one, Gordon? Well, it's just well, it's obviously good for the club to get him off the books. He, he, uh, I suppose a bit disappointing. It's just a loan, but he had to be moved on. He was clearly um, out of favour for whatever reasons. Um, so he was just he was just there, wasn't he? He was at the reserves and things. So. Yeah, I mean, it's gone to Southampton. You can do a job for them, I'm sure. Um, so, yeah, quite, quite, quite happy 
to for him to go because he was clearly not going to be in our in our squad. Yeah, what do you reckon, Lee? I think um, Fraser needs to prove his character a little bit because the last two clubs he's left, yeah, he's left under somewhat of a cloud. Mm-hmm. He, we all know the circumstances that he left Bournemouth. Um, just after the COVID pandemic um, broke out and football returned, he refused to um, fulfil the season of Bournemouth. Um, yeah, because that, that's right. Because the because the issue there was because um, the season was prolonged. His contract didn't cover that extension, and he refused yeah. to do it. Right? And he, um, he refused to play the extension of the season, didn't he, to protect his free transfer? And that was under Eddie Howe. Um, so I always wondered how it would go when he came to Newcastle um, under Eddie Howe. But something's obviously gone on behind the scenes again. Um, yeah. he, he came to Newcastle on massive wages because of that free transfer that he um, tried to protect when he was at Bournemouth. So, yeah, I think it's good that he's off the wage bill, even if it's only 50% of it, because yeah. rumour has it, he was on a good £60,000, £70,000 a week. Um so yeah, good to get good to get him moved. It made me chuckle tonight. Newcastle fans have got unrealistic expectations, and everybody on Twitter is celebrating because we've got somebody off the wage bill. Yeah, the lofty lofty expectations that we all have. We just mm-hmm. even out the dead wood is uh, yeah. celebrated. It's quite funny, really. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, Lee Lascelles possibly getting a move out of Newcastle as well. I think we've probably all got a bit of a higher opinion of Jamal Lascelles. But that might cause a bit of an issue at centre, with centre-back cover if he does go. Do you think that if he does go, the club will sign someone to the place before the end of the transfer window? I'd be very surprised if they didn't because it does leave us a little bit light on the right-hand side of the centre-halves. Um, I've got no doubt that Botman could um, make the switch to right side if necessary, if push comes to a shove. Um, but that would potentially mean, I mean, this is on the um, assumption that Shaw at some point gets injured. And let's be fair, Shaw will get injured. Um, head injuries within the first 30 seconds of his murder supper, and I. Um, so if he yeah, does go to that on Sunday, <laughs> yeah, if he does go to Lascelles, I'd be very surprised if it, what I would expect, I'd expect to see alone again, similar yeah. to Lewis Hall alone with a potential obligation or option. But yeah, I would expect them to bring somebody in. When Howe said the business was done, I don't think Howe expected to lose the sales at that point. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Gordon, what do you think just about Jamal Lascelles in general? Like, obviously, I think he's been a great servant to the club, and I would wish him very, very well if he does go. Oh, definitely. Um, I, I, I've got a high regard for Jamel Sells. He, he was one that, in the early days, he took a lot of stick. And, and even over the years, there have been sort of people having a go at him. But I think his leadership qualities in the in the promotion and the, getting us back into the Premier League and, and just being as a character. But, you know, he, he's never really let us down as a player. I mean, he, he's not the top quality. We know that. But I, what I loved last season, of course, was he's just his leadership off the pitch, and it was clearly that Eddie Howe um, really um, respected and had that in the dressing room along with some of the other key leaders. Um, so he had an important part to play, even though minutes-wise on the pitch, he didn't actually play you know, that much. Um, so no, I'd be sad to see him going away. I, I thought he would still be here, and I think Eddie Howe probably thought the same. Going back to Lee's comment, I think if the cells go, I think they will bring somebody in. They'll, I think they'll have to because it will leave us very threadbare 
uh, in in a position I still think we're threadbare at now. You know, let yeah. alone if LaSalle scores. So I think that's exactly right. I think I think we're already as weak as we would want to be that in that position without losing. Yeah, like you say, not the greatest centre half in the world, but a, certainly a solid backup option at this point. Um, someone who could step in for a few games, and I just think going back to that point about the the captaincy, I I think the way the club have handled him being the club captain and then Trippier being the on-field captain has been absolutely superb. Like it could have been a situation that went very very wrong and caused a a very bad atmosphere within the dressing room and the, and the club. But the fact that how kind of included Lascelles in everything, despite him not playing regularly, mm-hmm. I think it's been a masterstroke, actually, in how to deal with that kind of tricky situation. Yeah. I and think I, think, I think the thing there, Ian, is that um, you've got to say the two players themselves, Lascelles and Trippier, have shown themselves to be absolutely true model professionals in, in every you know, a sense of that word that they've they've both embraced it. And you know, I, I've got high regard for Jamal Lascelles. I've got high regard for Trippier, obviously. Um, and I just think Trippier's influence on the club cannot be underestimated at all. Um, and I'm sure people don't they, they they know you know what he's done the last eighteen months. So yeah, yeah I think. But Eddie Howe, I think is it's just Eddie Howe, isn't it? He just he thinks about some of these situations and how the players. You know their welfare and their well their well being, and I think it, it 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 comes across, and that's why we've got a happy United squad. Yeah. I think there's huge mutual respect between the three of them. Looking at Trippier in past match interviews last season, when he was referred to as the captain, every single time you can go back and watch all of his interviews, if he was ever referred to as the captain, he always made a point of saying Jamal's the captain. Yeah. Um, in pre-season, when Jamal Lascelles was doing a press conference with Eddie Howe and it was raised by one of the media, Eddie Howe stepped in and went into a, a 90-second um, speech about why Jamal Lascelles is held, held in such high regard. And yeah. we all know what Eddie Howe thinks of Kieran Trippier. So the three of them are very, very tight. Now, what apparently is on offer from Besiktas is a three- to four-year contract now, yeah. Jamal Lascelles, as you say, has served Newcastle United really, really well for almost 10 years. He's not short of a testimonial. Wow. Uh, yeah. He's not far short of a testimonial. If he's got three or four-year contract on the table in Besiktas and he's on good money over there, I wish the lad good luck. Yeah. I genuinely yeah. go, go and fleece them for everything you can get out of them. I wonder, Lee, if that's actually the club looking as well to maybe do him a favour for his yeah. service. You know, like... Because sometimes that happens in football, doesn't it? Where it's like, you've treated us well, let's try and get you a good contract somewhere else. And yeah, for I mean, how old is Lascelles now? Is he, is he over 30? I would say he's probably 30. To be able yeah. to get a three or four year contract when you're mm-hmm. above 30 is, is a big, big mm-hmm. deal, isn't it? So yeah, good luck to him. I, I say I think we all agree on that one. Um, possible... Uh, move for Isaac Hayden as well, possibly going to Luton. I would sort of echo a few of the sentiments around Lascelles with with Hayden, just a good servant to the club. He's not really needed anymore, and if he gets his move, then good luck to him. Yeah, I had a lot of time for Isaac Hayden when he was a staple part of the first team. He was a liability around the box for giving free kicks away. He was, (laughs) but the team and the club has moved on since that time. Um, he was the consummate professional. 
he was. Um, he gave everything for the club. He never had a bad word to say. Carried himself brilliantly. Um, and I'll always thank him for... Um, he scored the last goal at St James's Park before the COVID outbreak, I think it was. Yeah, that's um, a good fact. Against Chelsea. <laughs> yeah. Um, the last goal Newcastle scored at St James's Park before lockdown was Isaac Hayden against Chelsea in the 93rd minute. And it was 18 months before Newcastle scored at St James's again um, through Joel Willock against Sheffield United in May 2022. What a wonderful fact. Thank you. Thanks for bringing yeah. that to us. Well, that's, yeah. awesome, that's quite impressive. Yeah, I like, <laughs> I like that. Good knowledge. Uh, let's move on a little bit then. So the club's uh, ticket and loyalty point issue has, has been in the news this week. It certainly has on social media anyway. Um, and it looks like from a lot of the week, the, the allocation for the Brighton away match may not sell out. And that was until the requirement to purchase a ticket dropped to one or more loyalty points. Then it sold out pretty quickly. So the big question is, is this a sign that the new policy is actually working, Lee? What do you reckon? I think there's a combination of things going on here. I think the fact that we've got um, rail strikes um, on the day in question. Brighton's, I wouldn't fancy walking to Brighton and back. Um, <laughs> so rail strikes combined with, let's be honest, an absolutely mental kickoff time. Yeah. Um, is it, am, am I right in saying it's 8 o'clock on Saturday night? Oh, let me check. I thought it was... I know it's, I thought it's, it was it's either 5.30 or 8 o'clock. Whichever way, whichever way you dress it up, it's a ludicrous kick-off time for Newcastle to travel to Brighton, um, particularly when you've got um, rail strikes on the cards. If you remember, Brighton versus Crystal Palace was postponed um, last yeah. season because of rail strikes. Yeah. Yeah. And, there, and there's been nothing said about this fixture. On, on the subject of the club's away ticketing policy, um, this potentially could have been one of my unpopular opinions. Um, I think the club have got the right idea, but I think the implementation and the communication around it's been poor. Mm. Um, I'm a long-term season ticket holder on very, very low um, loyalty points. For one reason or another, I never built up a huge amount of loyalty points due to coaching kids football and what have you. I do enough travelling going to home games. It's 200 miles there and back for me to go to a home match. So I never built up a lot of loyalty points. And I, therefore, probably got to four or five games a season away from home. And I relied on the very thing that the club is trying to sort of cut out, which is what I refer to as loyalty point hoarders. Mm-hmm. people who've built up loyalty points for years and years and years and years, um, but only pick potentially a selected few games a season where they'll actually travel to the game. But mm-hmm. every single away game, they'll buy the ticket, pocket the point, yeah. and pass the ticket on, not for profit. I've never bought one for other face value, but they'll pass the ticket on to the likes of myself. And as I said, I took advantage of that situation last year four, five, six times. I think we've got six away games last season. Now, what the club's introduced will stop that. And it does needs... It, does it not... But, Lee, does it not make you feel a bit more confident now that, that OK, it's Brighton away, it's probably the trickiest one we're going to sell out. Does it not give you more confidence, actually? I don't know how many loyalty points you've got, but does it not give you more hope that, actually, it would be easier to get one off your own back now? No, the only way I'll get a ticket for an away game this season with my loyalty point total, I think, is through the ballot. I think Brighton's a one-off. I think it'll, it's... And Man City the previous week. There's two two real 
Um, interesting games there. You've got Man City away from home, European champions on Saturday night. The points were always going to drop because you're not going to have a massive appetite for going to Manchester City on a Saturday night at 8 o'clock. I think the other away games subsequent to those two, I think you'll be looking at them selling out at 50, 60, 70 loyalty points. Now, that rules me out yeah. of getting a ticket through my loyalty points. If I get a ticket this season, say it'll be through a ballot. So I don't think it increases my chances per se, but I do think the idea that the club have come up with in terms of the um, identification checks is the right way to go about it, but it's been implemented poorly. The idea that some people's tickets have automatically been, um, I don't know what you want to call it, um, defaulted. Cancelled, yeah. yeah. You've got people turning up five minutes before kickoff, ten minutes before kickoff, and that ticket's been cancelled before they've arrived and then they've had to go traipsing off to a ticket office. That's the wrong way to go about it. But the idea is there. I just think it needs a bit of fine-tuning. And ultimately, as I say, it'll do what the club's trying to do, which is stop people from hoarding loyalty points who potentially don't go to games. And I say, I've been the benefit of that for a long time myself. Yeah, I agree. I think, I, think, I think you're right. I think it comes down to implementation generally. And I think... But what I do know is that the club will be open to fan feedback on this. And I think it's something that supporters will be able to work on with the club and it is a new system and it is it will have teething issues it will they will get things wrong they have got things wrong some of the stories i read um online from the man city game i mean i read one one lass who just couldn't get in even though she had a valid ticket and pretty much went to every away game last season it was she couldn't get in and and in the end the the clubs admitted that there was a an error on the Man City side and the Newcastle side, and that that should never have happened. Now, that might just be bad luck, but it, it should never be. She sh- she should never have been in that position where, as a fan with an actual genuine ticket, she shouldn't she couldn't get in. That's just that's not. So all right. I, know, I know what you're saying about the club listening and the club acting. I think a real good example was a few weeks ago with the um, ballots for members where you were basically put in the pot, you got charged 44 to 74 quid. You didn't know where you were going to get a ticket. They, rea- they acted on that very, very quickly because they were able- that was something in their gift that they could actually act on. I don't think with the aware tickets approach, there's a perfect solution that will suit everybody. So I think it'll be far, far more difficult for the club to put something in place that solves all of the issues we've seen of the first two away games of this season. So I think this one's going to take quite a little bit more time than the one we saw a few weeks ago for yeah. them to resolve. Yeah, I agree with that. Anything to add? No, I, can I just ask a question on this? So I, I was saying that the only people you know there that, that can go to an away match are the named season ticket holder. So is that, is that what, what we're saying? Yeah. Because like you, yeah. I mean, we had the situation where I would get tickets Looks like we might have lost Gordon temporarily there for a We've second. We've lost him. Somebody put 50 pence in Gordon. <laughs> um, let's, uh, we might need to move on. We'll come back. We'll see if we can get him back. Uh, let's move on, though, Lee. Obviously, last weekend, we travelled to the Etihad to play the Premier League and European champions, Man City. That ended in a 1-0 defeat for the Magpies, obviously, unfortunately. And a lot of discussion after this match was about the performance, with some players in particular being singled out for criticism, and I don't know, like, what do you reckon to this one? This is a bit of a, this is a bit of a tricky. Let me one. talk about, if, if you don't mind, let me talk about the game first. 
Yeah, let's go yeah, for that. Talk about, everybody's seen the online Fiora that's gone on this week and everybody's got their opinions on that. Yeah. Um, but first things first, last Saturday night at 5 to 8, if you'd have offered me a 1-0 defeat or a defeat of any shape and our goal difference not taking an absolute hammering, would I have taken it? I'll be perfectly honest with you, quite possibly. Yeah. Um, People are going. To, this team's going to go out and say this season, f- probably play better than us and get their asses handed to them. Yeah, um, I don't think um, we played particularly well. I think we showed them far too much respect, and particularly in the first half. But I don't think we played particularly poorly. I thought the defensive back five were outstanding. Sven Botman. Um, yeah. He just he just showed what he's going to do for the back that yeah. back four. For I the agree. Next- six, seven, eight years. I thought they were absolutely excellent. So there was a lot of positives to take away from the game. Yeah. But I think we, on the whole, showed them um, too much respect. And they are the best footballing team I've seen in my lifetime as a club side. Yeah, they're amazing, they're just, aren't they? They're just unbelievable. you just, just got to um, doff your cap sometimes to them, don't you? I, I agree. I think, I actually thought, I was thinking when I was watching it for the first 15, 20 minutes, I was thinking, oh, we're doing really well here. Like, we're really solid. Our lines were completely compact. We weren't really giving them anything. But we never, ever, and this never really happened in the whole game, maybe slightly more in the second half, but certainly in the first half, we literally didn't get out of our half. And that was disappointing. That was really disappointing to me because we gave Man City better games last season. And and my expectation, I mean, I even said on this podcast that there was a chance we could go there and win. Yeah. And I, I still believe that that could have been the case, but I just, we didn't, whatever the game plan was, we didn't execute it well enough. And like, I, I agree with you, Lee, I think we gave them a bit too much respect. And ultimately, I did feel disappointed at the end of the game because I, I don't think we did ourselves justice yeah. with how good we know we can be, even against Man City. So, the good thing for me is both how and every player that's been interviewed since the game have all, to a man, come out and said, we didn't perform. Yeah. Now, three years ago, under he who we'll not name, um, <laughs> we'd have gone to the Etihad and lost one year. He's coming out of retirement, Lee. Yeah. But if, you know yourself, if we'd have gone to the Etihad three years ago and lost one nil, it would have been the best result since um, yeah. 1969. It would, yeah. um, but every single player and how have come out and have said we didn't perform, we didn't do ourselves justice, which gives me a lot of heart for this coming weekend. Yeah. Well, um, one thing we'll... I would say is, um, and I'll, I'll bring you in in a second, Gordon. One thing I would say is, under how so far, whenever we've had a bad or a poor performance, we've always responded well in the next game, and that gives me hope for Sunday that will at least perform well. Well, who knows what the result will be, but I think we'll have some kind of reaction to the work. Because I think that you're right. I think the players and the, the management were disappointed with what they did at, at the Etihad, which speaks volumes for where we are as a club. Gordon, what do you reckon? Um, well, first of all, sorry about the technical thing. My laptop just died. And uh, <laughs> well, no. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't watch the match. I, I haven't said so. I kind of, I kind of talked to it about it in terms of me watching it, which I, I would have preferred. But 
I read a lot of the reports. I heard lots of the opinions. And, and it, it basically, it, at one end, of the, it seemed to be that we were dire, we were terrible, we should shoot all the players, they should be all sold up. To the other end, where we're saying, actually, this was actually not a bad result. We, we would take them 1-0 to Man City. I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. And that, you know, we've got to recognise we were playing, you know, the best side, as, as you indicated, Lee. I mean, they're just, they're just amazing. And also, when you take into account their record at home this year, I mean, they've won every game, you know. And I, and I think it's in all competitions, and it's just it's astounding. It was the first home game of the new season. They had all in cups late, late. It, you know, all I've said, I just think what we said about our players saying we didn't perform fills me with optimism because I think, you know, the result maybe um, was always going to be hard to, to, to avoid losing to them. But I think the lessons we will take from that in going forward will be basically we, we will be fired up for the next game. I think you, you, you that's why you're going to lose to Larry in, in terms of yeah. Liverpool. It was, also, their, it was their 17th consecutive home victory. Yeah. I mean, it's I, I hadn't right. I hadn't realised that until I started reading about it on Monday. Um, and that's phenomenal, isn't it? You know, so maybe we, 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 people are being too harsh. And again, it's just, is it this rising expectation that, you know, we know we are a good side. I think we, we said it last week and that there's no difference sitting here this Friday and thinking about we, we are a good side and Sunday will be a different occasion. The thing about Sunday is we might still lose, but we've got to be optimistic with this, with this team and the way we go about our business and the way we prepare. Mm. I think we... the performance on Sunday will be better regardless of result. That's what I think. I think yeah. we'll give it a go against Liverpool and and whatever will happen will happen. Let's just, let's just go on to this thing about criticism then. So, you know, can we be critical of players if they've had a bad game? You know, is that okay? Because the debate this week, you know, obviously Bruno, he he kind of reacted negatively to a on Twitter to a to a prominent NUFC account. Where where's the line here? Like, is it okay for me to say I didn't think Almiron played well because <laughs> I didn't think he played well? But on the main, but that doesn't mean I'm slagging Miggy off. Do you know what I mean? Like there were other players. I didn't think Joe Linton played I, well. I didn't think Isak played well, but he was I, isolated. Problem is, it's not that you, you're not allowed to say a player, is, you know, kids had a bad game or they're not played up to what they're, they're, they're capable of, you know, and that might be lots of reasons for that. But I think sometimes on Twitter and the social media generally, is it's the over over the top criticism. It's like we're the best players in the world one week against Aston Villa and the next week they couldn't they couldn't you know kick a ball they you know they looked absolutely hopeless and it, and that's the thing and one of the over the years I've had many you know this Ian um, discussions with people around us in the crowd um, who slagging off players when I don't think the player deserves to be slagged off they're not yeah. playing particularly well. Um, but actually, they're not actually as bad as what some people are making out. So I think it's the the degree and the type that that particularly that um, tweet that you're talking about with the with the pictures of them. I'm taking it. Is that yeah, the one? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, dreadful. And uh, I mean, it just it was unnecessary. But it's just. It's well, I'm going to play devil's advocate here a little bit. Was the tweet that bad? 
Or was no. it bad because Bruno no. reacted to it? Well, because I had all, because it was a rhetorical question. I just saw it and I thought, oh, I don't like that. I, this canvassing of opinions as well, and it's almost black and white. Everything's got to have an opinion after it's with a poll. Just stop it. <laughs> hey, team polls is a good account. I'll have you know that. Lee, what do you reckon? I'm not saying it is. <laughs> I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to, a couple of things about social media. You know me, Ian. I'm very active um, <laughs> on Twitter. Um, after a defeat, doesn't matter whether we're playing Man City or Cambridge United in the third round of the FA Cup, after a defeat, I avoid social media yeah. um, because the overreaction um, when, to a defeat is probably 10 times more amplified than the reaction when we win. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try and avoid it after a defeat wherever possible. I think I'm going to 100% agree with you, Ian, um, about the tweeting question that kicked everything off on Tuesday morning. Um, I don't think the tweet in itself was that bad. I genuinely don't. I, I mean, let me read the tweet to you. I've got it in front of me. Okay. Is it too early in the season to start focusing blame onto individual players? Was there an overreaction to the loss to Man City? Now, for me, there's a couple of mistakes they've made there. They've specifically posted a picture of four players, which, Gordon, I think you referred to. So they've yeah. posted a picture of Dan Byrne, Miggy Almiron, Bruno Gumaresh, and I think the other one was Jellington. Yeah. yeah. And they're, 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 they've been picked specifically, haven't they? Because they, yeah. they were the players who were coming under criticism. And that's they were coming under criticism from the people who were the extreme reactions on Twitter. They didn't play well. But if you ask any one of those four players, um, I think they would all admit they didn't have the best game. Yeah. yeah. So that was the first mistake. They've singled out four players. But the biggest mistake I think they've actually made is both of the questions they asked. Is it too early in the season to start blaming players? And was it an overreaction? The answer to those two questions is so bloody obvious. <laughs> yes, it's too early. It is. And yes, there was an overreaction. If the answer is so obvious, don't ask the question. Don't put it out there online. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? But the problem you've got with an account like that is the size of the account. I mean, we're talking an account that was 150,000 plus followers up until Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, they've lost around about ten percent of the following. They, they they have to put content out. They have to put content out to generate revenue. I think what that account particularly and potentially some others might take heed of it is they might think a little bit more before they put that content out and not put content out off the cuff to generate a reaction because the reaction they got they did they certainly didn't expect Bruno to react to it the way he did. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of um, back and forth. Was it Bruno? Was it one of Bruno's admins? I firmly believe that that was Bruno himself who t- tweeted the response because yeah. I don't think one of his admins would have it the 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 ability not the ability but the level of responsibility to be able to tweet such a emotive response yeah. to a tweet. I think Eddie Howe was asked about it in his press conference today and I think Eddie Howe made it clear that actually it was a genuine thing from Bruno. Um, I thought it was. Yeah, so um, Mark, one of our viewers, says he loves Bruno but he does think he needs a bit of a thicker skin. Joe Linton went through wild abuse and didn't react. And, And I guess it comes down to players, doesn't it? Like, if if you... I mean... We all love Bruno. I mean, he's he's fantastic, but he's he's very very emotional, isn't he? He's he's a man who is led by his emotions, and and maybe 
Twitter is not the best place for him if he's being criticised. I don't know. It's just it's not the healthiest of places at the best of times. At Twitter, it can be it can be awful. It's assessment. I want Bruno to be emotional, though. I think Bruno, you take away the emotional side of Bruno, um, the emotional character that he displays, and I don't think you've got the same footballer. I, I totally agree with that. I'm just saying. I think. In terms of social media, I mean, I want—I don't want Bruno to change how he is on the pitch or how he is around the club, or because he is who he is. But if opinions like that are going to get to him, maybe he does what Eddie Howe does and just shouldn't be going on there. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, and maybe in the background, Eddie Howe might be talking about that. You know, the thing is, I agree. I mean, Bruno is very emotionally led, isn't he? In fact, we had this conversation last week, and we had it on the opening day when we were looking at uh, Sandro Tonali and Bruno, and they are, are are two brilliant footballers, but they're temperamentally they're, they're miles different, aren't they? I mean, you've got emotionally led Bruno who gets sometimes sucked into silly tackles and because he's getting hacked all over the place. And then Tonali, who, you know, he's not going to be smiling a lot on the even even on the pitch, is he? Uh, you know, so cool. and I, I think you take that that passion away from Bruno and you, you lose part you know part of what Bruno is. So yeah. it's just it's being careful what you say on 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 these social media sites, isn't it? And maybe the reaction was was over the top, but equally the initial thing about digging at them was also wrong. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's the age-old problem with social media. It's people can just write stuff without really putting much thought into it. They can put opinions out into the ether, but actually it has a, it can have a real impact on people. And I think. We just all have to kind of remember that a bit. Um, just, just a last point on the subject. Um, yeah, that account was was a notorious um, Twitter or post or whatever you want to call them. And I'm talking hundreds of thousands of posts. Um, it's I looked at four thirty this afternoon, and they hadn't posted since ten twenty a.m. on Tuesday. Really, they're not. That's amazing, yeah. Because a single tweet since twenty past ten on Tuesday, and that was in relation to the Lewis Hall announcement. Yeah, um, not a thing since. So there's obviously some strong conversations going on there before they rear their heads again. Yeah, mm-hmm. interesting. Maybe they're just hoping it all passes over or something. Uh, let, let's move on then to um, something that's a bit happier, really. Amazon Prime Video. They've now shown three of the four episodes of We Are Newcastle United. Some lucky supporters have managed to watch all four due to a, a major error earlier this week when someone at Amazon accidentally released the last two episodes for about an hour. Um, however, for most of us, we've seen three episodes. I watched the third episode this morning. And so I thought we'd take a bit of time just to reflect on the series as a whole. Um, I'm not sure how much you've seen, Lee or Gordon, but I've seen the third episode today. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the third episode this afternoon, we were away. We came back this lunchtime, and then I watched it this afternoon. Brilliant. So, uh, yeah. So, so let's just kick off. Just general thoughts, really, about the the series. Then, Gordon, like, what what do you make of it so far? I have to say, when when this was first announced, we were going to be doing this. I was a little bit worried. I, I you know, I mean, I'd, I'd seen one or two of these fly on the wall documentary type things in the dressing room and other clubs, and thought. Do I really want to sit there and cringe at you know what's going on and some of the stuff? But having said that, I've watched the the three. Um, I must admit, the third one I, I really enjoyed, and that's probably because we won a few matches and people were a lot happier. 
Um, I, I wonder. Yeah. <laughs> it did cross my mind that because I said I put on Twitter earlier. I was like, "Oh, this is my favorite episode so far." But then I thought, "Well, yeah, because we didn't lose the cup final in this episode, and we were battering everyone, so it kind of makes it a bit easier to watch." Exactly, but but the actual content is it's really interesting, and I, I think it's the behind the scenes stuff that really is the interesting thing. I mean, the football inside Neddy Howe and, and what we see about him is probably limited, really, and I think that was alluded to before it was released. But I think it's the boardroom um, situations, it's the things with Darren Eels going off to America to Atlanta before the summer tour, and the thing about growing the the, the you know the fan base in other countries. It's the thing about the, the trip to um, Adidas and what a, what a building that was, wasn't it? That um, um, their headquarters. Uh, I mean, that was that was really interesting stuff. And it just shows that the level which we are now operating, even down to seeing the improvements to the training centre, which are all in this third yeah. Um And I think we know that actually... The, the, those improvements and what they've done is just a start, isn't it? It's, it's, I think that's a tide us over till we oh, find... Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the whole training ground thing, I mean, we're all aware, I'm, I assume most Newcastle supporters are aware that that's happened anyway. But it was nice to see in the third episode a little bit more of, like, there was these pools that sort of had floors that raised and lowered, you know, all this kind of stuff. Like, really great stuff that you got access to. But I was sat there thinking, well... Let's be honest, they're going to just build a new place at some point in the next few years. There's going to be some absolutely outrageously... Because, I mean, even I think it was the chairman said, you know, we want to be on the same level as the best in the world. Well, the best in the world, you look at Man City, you look at Leicester City, they have the best training grounds in this country. Liverpool have just opened something or are going to... Have they opened Liverpool's? I don't know if it opened or is about to open. They've got a brand new training centre, which is state-of-the-art. They're not Newcastle aren't going to stay where we are. That's just they've spent a bit of money on it to make yeah. it a bit better. But ultimately, there's going to be a redevelopment somewhere in the city with an absolutely state of the art. Just look at like a sporting village like Man City have got. Yeah. Lee, what what are your thoughts on what you've seen well, so far? First things first, can we have no spoilers on episode three, please? Because I've not seen it yet. Okay. <laughs> what have you? Um Listen, this Newcastle content, we're all going to lap it up. I'll watch. I've watched the first couple of episodes probably two or three times, if not four times already. I'll watch them again and again. I love the um, the, the interaction with the fans. I mean, a, a lot of the people who are actually being featured and interviewed in it, I'm actually friends with. Yeah. Um, and I knew that they were going to be in it, but I couldn't say anything to anybody. I'm looking forward to episode three for precisely the reasons you've said. Um, Ian and Gordon, the fact that we actually get to win a couple of games. I love the behind the scenes um, with Eddie Howe and what have you. What I do think, and you can shoot me for saying this, I do think there's an element. Anybody who was expecting an all or nothing style Amazon documentary similar to Tottenham or to Arsenal or Manchester City, they're going to be disappointed because it's not that. And yeah. I do think there's an element of a little bit of PR on the side of the Saudi element of things with um, Yasser Al-Ramayan and what have you. I might be over analysing the situation, but I do think there's an element of them trying to portray them in a good light. Oh, I, I totally um, agree with that. I think it's it's an absolute... It is a PR piece. And yeah, actually, it's, not, it's not your warts and all. all no. nothing. So, but listen, for me, it's, um, it's four hours of Newcastle United yeah. content behind the scenes 
and I don't for, doubt for a minute in 10 years' time I'll still be watching it on replay. Yeah. Um, a couple, I won't spoil episode three for people who haven't watched it yet, but I will say a couple of things that's, that I will say without explaining exactly why they're so good. Well, three things, actually. First of all, the war flag section in episode three is sensational, and I'm so glad that they got a big chunk of time throughout that episode. Brilliant, because it is it, just what they do is fantastic, and it should always be built up and, and appreciated. Secondly, Darren Eels is an absolute asset to our club. Like when you see him on camera, in I just thought he, his section in the in the third episode was just fantastic. Um, he goes to America, but when you watch what he does in America, it's it's really brilliant. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing that was just brilliant, Eddie Howe's team talk against Man United. I won't spoil it, um, but it's just it is just brilliant. Like I'm lucky, um, I'm lucky enough to have spent time with Darren Eels and Peter Silverstone. Is that right? Yeah, last um, October I was invited to do you know the sport engagement event. Oh. Um, prior to the Crystal Palace game in the League Cup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was invited to that <clears throat> and I was there quite early and I managed to get around about 30 minutes with Darren Eels and Peter Silverstone. Wow. Peter Silverstone had only been there for a day, he had at the time, um, and they just gave off the, the impression that they knew exactly where they wanted to go and exactly how they were going to get there. When you compare that to the T lad that we had prior to the yeah. executives that we've now got. Um, it's just chalk and cheese. So, yeah. Um, did, um, did you get... What What? What in particular did like? Did you chat about with, with him? Like, what Was there anything in particular that he, he said or was it just a general vibe you got? It, it was just a general vibe. I mean, it was... Bloody hell, it was eight months ago now. But, I mean, from, particularly from Peter Silverstone. Um, Darren Hills gave the, me the, the overwhelming impression that Fan engagement was massively, massively important to him. Um, he totally admitted that they would make mistakes, but they would do what they could to rectify those mistakes and learn from those mistakes. But Peter Silverstone was just very, very, very polished. Talked about some of the things that he did at Arsenal in terms of revenue and how he looked to increase that. Talked about being realistic in terms of how quick he was going to do it and be able to do it um, because of the infrastructure and the personnel that he had at the club at the time. Um, but you, it was just one of those, I'd say I was probably around about 25 minutes with the two of them and I, I walked away thinking we're in good hands. We're in good hands. That yeah. in good hands. That's how it feels, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, brilliant. Um, anything else you want to add about the Amazon Prime documentary before we move on? No, no not for me. I'm just looking forward to watching episode three after Sam Fender tonight. <laughs> You will not be disappointed, Lee, I promise you. It's absolutely, it was a brilliant, brilliant episode. Um, okay. It's that time of the show where we do something a little bit different, take an alternative view on the world of Newcastle United. <laughs> and this week, we are laying out some of our most unpopular opinions. It's a chance to get things off our chests. Maybe mention things that bother us and eat away at us, or perhaps things we can't understand. Why the hell other people don't feel the same way we do? So we'll go around a couple of times. Uh, if you're watching this live on YouTube, then you can feel free to chip in uh, in the comments and we'll, we'll try and show some. Uh, but, Lee, I'm going to start with you. What's your first unpopular opinion? My first unpopular opinion. So uh, there's been a lot of celebration 
um, amongst the fan base since I think it was around about two o'clock last Saturday afternoon when some junior executive at Amazon dropped the biggest bollock of the career so far and released episode three and episode four. Um, and it came to light that Newcastle had um, been in Germany to talk to Adidas. And from 24, 25, Adidas will be our kit supplier. There's been lots and lots of celebrations. My unpopular opinion is that the return of Adidas might not be the cause for celebration that a lot of people think it will be. Okay, go on. Um, the reason for that. So for every 1995, 1996 or 96, 97 granddad shirt as worn by Shearer and Ferdinand and the away kit as worn by Baisley and Janala, um, there is a 2009, 2010 custard cream away kit, or there is a 1997 home shirt with a big grotesque shield on the back. Oh, <laughs> yeah, right. So one one of my one of my opinions, right? This happened last week as well. One of my opinions was that it was a bit more precise than what you've just said. My un, my unpopular opinion is that the 1997 to 1999 home kit was bloody awful, and I don't understand why so many people love it. Are you um, on about the granddad kit? No, I'm on about the no. one that followed the granddad kit, the one with the shield on the back. Oh, it, was awful. it was a terrible it, kit, it, and everyone at the time hated it. And yet, these days, I see people <laughs> loving it, and, and I just do not understand... Why? But so so I'm kind of with you on this, Lee, uh, to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's a, there's I think because Adidas gave us probably, in most people's opinion, the best kit we've ever had. I know that I know there's a couple of others. I know we've had conversations about kits in the past, Lee, and I suspect your favourite might not be that '95 to '97 kit. I don't know because I think I seem to remember you talking about one from the '80s at some point. 1984, 1983 yeah. promotion kit. So there are other options out there, but um, that one, yeah, uh, yeah, it's an interesting opinion about the Adidas. Well, I'm, I'm excited you, about Adidas. But... If, if I could just finish on the subject by saying, if you look at Juventus's kit yeah. from last season, Adidas absolutely ruined it. The stripes were made out to look like tire tracks. Yeah, they were. Now, so as I say, let's hold our water and let's see what they come up with. One good thing about Adidas coming back is their, the leisure wear, tracksuits, um, jackets. There'll be a massive improvement from what we've got now. If you go on Depop, what you call it, Adidas retro jackets, Newcastle jackets are going for two, three, four hundred quid on Depop at the minute. My son's just bought one. Um, so you'll see a massive improvement in them. But I do worry about what they're going to serve us up next season. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I like it. I like it, Lee. Gordon, give us your first unpopular opinion. Right, okay. I mean, I said to you before we came on here that I, I don't think I've got unpopular opinions because I like to think that I'm, you know, I talk sense, but there we Everyone go. Everyone agrees with everything you say. I thought about this when I was driving around um, in, in, up near Eyemouth the last couple of days and when you, when you said, one of the things that I'd, I've never tuned into as a supporter is the idea of going to the pub before the game and having lots of drinks. I have done it where I've had a couple of pints and maybe, but I've, I've not done it where people get tanked up to the eyeballs and then come in the ground. And that I understand why they do it. I understand the sociability, fine. But 
then they stand, they miss half the game because yeah, you've got to come to me after your dad. You've got to come to me after him. <laughs> I'm waiting. I can see your reaction, Lee. I've, I can't wait to hear what you say. They shot off to the the toilet about five or six times. That's just in the first half. The other thing is, I've noted, and this leads on to something else. At about thirty minutes of a, in the first half, there is like an evacuation of the of the stand. You get all these people, and I think, where are they going? And they're off either to the lip or to the refreshment or to get their paints in or that, you know, that the, the scrum. Right. I'm going to have to stop you there, Dad. Right, Lee, come on. I need a response to this because you're shaking your head. I'm not. I, I, I literally, it's as if Gordon's read my mind. I've actually called right. these people. <laughs> I've called these people the 55-minute fans, <laughs> and the reason I call them the 55-minute fans is. Literally rock up to the seat, either bang on kickoff or just after having knocked back as many pints as their body can physically handle. 35 minutes to head back down, whether they're going for a piss or another 10 pints at half time in the concourse. <laughs> they don't come back to the seat till 10 minutes into the second half, and then the bugger off 10 minutes before the final whistle. They get about 55 minutes in on the games. I, I, it's, it's mad. I, and, and, the, and the other thing about it, Lee, is and this is another bugbear, and it leads on to the same thing, really, is people who leave before the end of a game. I, I still don't get that. Yeah. I mean, I've never we understood that. Travel from Scarborough. We travelled from Scarborough. I, I did it for a year, and I, I lived in Dalton and Furness, Carlisle, and I would never leave a match early. Now, people say, well, oh, I've got to get the bus, I've got to get the train, and okay, on a night time, I'm, I could maybe think that, but they wouldn't go to the cinema and that they, ten minutes before the end of the film, get up and and leave, would they? What and I don't get though is what, like, how can these people leave if it's like nil nil or one one, or or two one and you're chasing the game? Like, how can people leave at that point? Yeah. I haven't left the game early since 1986. Is that when I you went on a spike? No, Peter Beardsley at home to Manchester United in February. I was 13. I thought I was going to die. It was freezing. The pitch was white. I said to my brother, please take me home. I thought I was going to die. Um, and as we were walking down the Gallagher steps, Peter Baisley scored an equaliser at home to Man United. And I've never left the game early since. Learned your lesson. I've, ever, I've never, ever left the Newcastle game early, ever. I've only done it once. And it was when um, it was the playoff in 1990 when uh, Gabby got a second goal. Yeah, you had good reason. Yeah. It was turning absolutely horrible yeah. inside the ground and there was going to be a lot of bother. And I just thought, I don't want to be hanging around outside that ground when, when it all when it kicks off outside. So mm-hmm. I left. That's uh, right. We can give you a pass on that one, I think. I think that's fair enough. Um, I mean, I'm, a, I'm of a, the same, same opinion, really, because I actually like to watch the match when I go to the match. <laughs> um, but I guess it's also we've all done a lot of travelling to get to Newcastle games. So I guess it's it's never been... I mean, I know you've lived in the northeast, whereas I've, I've always had to drive to matches. But, like, it's never been part of our routine to no. have loads of drinks before the match because we have to drive back or whatever. So, so it's just never been something that I've done because circumstance means that I've never really yeah. been able to anyway. But I've never really understood why people... I can understand having a couple... Yeah. You know, and, and meeting some friends, but getting to the point where you're absolutely smashed and you don't even remember the game, what is the point? I'm going to give you my first unpopular opinion. I'm going to start with my biggest one because um, I, 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 I'm hope, I've made quite big notes on this one because I need to be quite clear about what I'm saying, okay? 
Sir, my unpopular opinion is if we could rebuild St. James's Park on the same site or close to the city centre, a bit like Spurs did, I'd be okay with that. Okay. Now, I love St. James's Park, but if it can't be adequately expanded, I would be absolutely up for knocking it down, starting again to increase the capacity, but in the same location. Because for me, yeah, we're, we're sentimental about St. James's Park. We've all got lots of memories tied up in St. In St. James's Park. We've all gone there since we're little. It's important. It's an important place. We love it. I love how it looks. I love everything about it. But I think, I think my biggest fear is if the, if our owner said we need to build a new stadium because we can't renovate St. James's Park well enough, and they said, but we're going to do it out of the city, I would be gutted about that because yeah. I think I'm sentimental about the location yeah. rather than the stadium, if that makes sense. And I've given this a lot of thought over the last few weeks since they announced that they're going to be doing a consultation. And, I, and I've been trying to think, would I be okay if St. James's Park, as we know it, ceased to be and i think i would be under certain conditions i don't think that's an unpopular opinion personally okay. i think you're right in terms of the location is probably more important than the stadium itself i mean i was just whilst you were talking there and i was just thinking back i mean my first game was 83 and it's if you i look back at the stadium in 83 and it looks nothing like yeah, it does now. When we all yeah. started going, it was and very, very different. Back then, when I was a young lad, you're going to have this sort of stadium that, for example, looks like St James's Park now. Yeah, I would have probably went, oh no, I don't want that. I don't want that. But I love St James's Park as it is now. But I do think I agree with you. I think it's as much to do with the location as it yeah. is to do with anything else. And I think yeah. for, for me, so, you've so what... got to stay in that location. Yeah, so one of the big fears, Mark's just said here, there is a risk building a new stadium could lose the atmosphere. One of the things I wrote down that I haven't said yet is the thing is, if these owners built a new stadium, they would want it to be literally the best stadium in the world. That's how they operate. And I think that with they would absolutely take into account the fact that what makes the current St. James's Park unique and special and amazing is the atmosphere. And I think that they would they would and they could design a stadium that kind of lived up to that in a new guise, if that makes sense. Like, I, I wouldn't I be worried about this, the, these owners building us a new stadium because I think they would absolutely look into the detail of that. I think they'll find a way to redevelop it. I really do. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that, Lee. I think they will. Yeah. Um, and I think, and I, I like you both, I don't think it's an unpopular opinion, And I think, I mean, I, your, your first game was 83, the mine was 60, 1967, and it was different again back in 67, and obviously, you know, the Leeds then was still there in its own tin shed format, and um, the one stand, I mean, I've seen so many changes to that ground, but the one thing about it is the fact that it is in the city centre, and it's there, and it and it, and it even alluded to in some of these videos, isn't it, about this is the thing that everywhere you go in the city, you see that ground. It, it just it, it dominates. And we, we get a lot of income as well from it, 
Stormy as a city because it because of the way when people come the the, the you know the whole thing of the bars and the restaurants totally. and all, the life in Newcastle is it's, just there. It's, it's a special it's a special location for so many reasons for the the fact it dominates the skyline but also like you say it's literally in the center of the city and and to have a stadium the size of it is just it doesn't happen anywhere else you, you two fellas will be exactly the same as me there's no better feeling for me and I'll get it again on Sunday and I get it every time we have a home game than when I'm driving down the Air 184 past you with um, railway uh, metro station and you can see it sat on the yeah. top of the hill yeah and me and my lad my lad sat next to me I just love that feeling of we're nearly there. There she is, sat on the top of the hill. And for that not to be there, I mean, even when they were talking about um, redeveloping Strawberry Place with office blocks and mm. um, university buildings, I was absolutely devastated. The idea that that view was going to be cut off forever. So, uh, listen, Ian, I don't think that's an unpopular opinion. They can redevelop the stadium. I do think they'll redevelop the stadium. It's interesting because when money's no object, they will find a way. And money yeah. is no object. Yeah. They will find a way. Brilliant. Um, okay, right. Oh, go on. I'm just going to move on just because uh, just because of time, really. Uh, so, Lee, come on, give us your. We'll do a quicker round, last final round. Uh, give so us another. Had my number three, which was the 55 minute fan. Thanks for that, Gordon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, my, num- my unpopular opinion, number two. Now, this one will be unpopular, um, but you've got to bear with me. Um, I don't care what anybody says. We've got the by distance the best fans in the country. But the atmosphere at St James's Park sometimes can be really, really poor. Okay. It yeah. can. It can. It'll yeah. be bouncing this Sunday. It'll yeah. be absolutely bouncing this Sunday because of the opposition. Um, big games against like St Liverpool, Man U, Arsenal, they always set the pulses racing and what have you. And St James's Park is going to be feral come half past four on Sunday. But I think back to games against the likes of Bournemouth and Palace and Leeds last season when we dropped points. And I don't think that those teams get away with the point from St. James's Park if the atmosphere was it was the same as it yeah. was, for example, against Manchester United mm. back in the spring. Yeah. Despite War Flag's best efforts, I'm hoping safe standing's gonna have an impact. Yeah. But yeah, I just think that the, the atmosphere at St. James's Park can be really, really poor at times. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think that's true. And th- and there's a bit of a, a mythology maybe about just how great it is, but I think it is, it, on its day, it's better, it's as good as or better than anywhere. Like, it is, it is kind of intimidating and loud. I mean, there was a video of Kevin De Bruyne today saying it was, yeah. it was the sort of best atmosphere in the league. But of course, he plays for one of those teams that when they come, it is a good atmosphere. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of I can get on board with that as a, as an opinion. To be fair, I think there's as fans we could do better against the lesser opposition, so to speak. Mm. Yeah. Agree. Okay. Gordon, give us a um, popular opinion. This very quick one, really. Um, can we please stop singing songs which mention the word Sunderland in that crowd? <laughs> I absolutely hate why. They they are so irrelevant to us now. They, they, it's here, yes, since we <laughs> we do not uh, need to tell the people that we hate them or that they are actually in any way important to us because they're just not. So stop singing songs about Sunderland. 
Okay. I'll stop singing songs about Sunderland the day Sunderland stops singing songs about us, Gordon. Well, that's just going down to their level, that, Lee. I just, <laughs> we, don't, we don't need it, you know. I'll tell you what, I can... If you love the tune, that really gets on my wick because, you know, it's like, yeah, you're up and down like a yo-yo and you don't know what the half No one likes that chant. So... Stand up if you stand up. That I can't do that one. Doesn't no, everyone think. hates that one. To be fair, that's that's crap. No, I don't know whoever starts that. They they should be ejected from the stadium. <laughs> um, okay, my my final one then, just to wrap this up. Um, so Lee, you said we have the best fans in in the world or the league or whatever. I, I can get on board with that, but I absolutely think that as a fan base, as a in a. a as a whole, obviously not every individual falls into this category. I feel like we're too sentimental about stuff. I feel like as fans, we get too attached to kind of play it. Like at the moment, we're on a journey to improve, right? And part of that journey means letting go of players that we love. All right. Now let's take Alan St. Maximum as a prime example of what I'm talking about here. I love Alan St. Maximum. I think he did, he did, Stuff for the club while he was here under Bruce. Oh, I've mentioned him. No, didn't mean to do that, Lee. Um, that I'm very grateful for, right? For me, it was as clear as day that Eddie Howe would get rid of him at some point because he just didn't quite fit the Eddie Howe mould of things. And for me, the outcry from the fans was just a bit over the top about that. That's mm. not to say I don't appreciate what he did. That's not to say I don't like him. It's not to say I don't wish him well. But I just think people want to hold on to players for too long, in a sense. that, that We need to learn to be a bit more ruthless as fans, I think, is what I'm saying. I think Especially you now we're on a good trajectory. Give me a little bit more context on that one, Ian, because I, based on immediately what you said, that we're too sentimental, I disagreed with you. I think we're at a stage still at the moment where what the only thing Newcastle fans have got to hang on to is the history. They have an art... And when I'm talking about your history, I'm talking about your 1969s, your 1952s, your 1955s, your 1951 cup wins and things. So I understand that sentimentality and people looking back at sort of icons, Malcolm McDonald, Wynne right. Davis. No, 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 that's I'm not thinking. what I mean. What yeah. I mean is, right. yeah, yeah, I don't mean any of that stuff. I mean, the, the big stuff in the club's history is obviously that's fine to be sentimental about. What I mean is when we... I'm okay. I'm specifically talking about players in the squad, and I'll I'll mm. mention another one, and this will be unpopular with some people, but like the whole Almiron debate, right? So look, I love the guy, what he's done for the club, but ultimately, there's nothing wrong with saying, in a year or two, he'll need to be replaced because he's not going to be. We will find someone better. Yeah. And I think, but, but some fans are like, oh yeah, but look what he's done for us, and like, yeah, look what he's done for us, great. But actually, we need to move on. That's a good debate point, actually, because I, and I, I listened to a debate on one of the other uh, podcasts earlier in the week, and we were talking about this, about for us to improve as a football club, we will need to replace some of these players who we know are, you know, not, not the, at that level that Man City are at. So, and Almiron would, would, would fall in that, and there are others within our team. To be honest, there's going to be players as well that, are currently first teamers, but in like two years' time, who you know, like we'll probably need to move on because we'll be want if we want to get to where we want to be. This the the recruitment team at St James's Park will be ruthless, and I think as fans we need to get used to that happening. If you think it's bad now, Ian, 
You wait, because eventually the day will come when there's talk about replacing how. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think, but I guess that'll come down to whether we stagnate under how, though, I think, won't it? So and Even then, you'll get exactly the same, but magnified a hundred times. If you look at what Al Miron's done for the club, compared to what the general perception of what Eddie Howe has done for the yeah. club, they're not comparable. So even if we have stagnated, when it comes to discussions around, we're going to, about are we potentially going to replace Eddie Howe, the, the, there'll, be, there'll be people cr- crying in the streets. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's a good point. It's a good point. I just, I just think generally, I think, I, I guess it's because I, I wonder if it's just because we've been so starved of anything to grab onto for the last fifteen years, like, because, because obviously we can all remember Bobby Robson and the Champions League and Keegan and nearly winning the league, and we've got those memories of stuff. And I think, and I, and I do wonder if the younger generation. And Lee, your son will fall into this category. My daughter falls into this category. Like they've literally never experienced anything particularly good happening. So all they've got is yeah. some players that they love. And then when those players go, it's like I don't know. I guess they've never. Some of those players leave and then and then don't get replaced adequately. Whereas I just that's not going to happen in the future either. So that's kind of that. That's always been the case, Owen. I mean, I'm sat here thinking about you know players being sold. I mean, Martin McDonald was mentioned. You know, there was uproar when Mark McDonald was sold in 76. And then we lost, and listen to this, we lost Chris Waddle, we lost Peter Beardsley, and we lost Gaza three out of four summers in the middle 80s. That was horrendous for the Newcastle fan. And I, actually, I was almost in tears when Beardsley went to Liverpool because I knew they were selling them to fund the building of the West Stand. That's what that's what, that's what the money was used for. It wasn't Thanks, the... Thanks Gordon. I just got over that 30-odd year later. <laughs> Well, the point is, isn't it? It, it, it? I mean, I, I, it took me a long time to get over Beards going to Liverpool, I have to tell you. I was really delighted when he came back. But, you know, I think it's always gone on, hasn't it? <clears throat> we lost Les Ferdinand, you know, after two yeah. seasons. Andy Cole, you know, Andy Cole was my first proper yeah. love so, who, who got... The thing is, yeah. we, we get one hero, leaves, we get a new hero in, don't we? That That's... Yeah. And, I, and what I, I guess I guess part of this is under Ashley that wasn't always the case. So like we would lose good players and not replace them properly. You know, and this this new ownership that that will definitely. Yeah. I think not we have to trust able. that they'll always. I don't know. It's a bit more exciting. Anyway, right. Very good. Thank you for the unpopular opinions, guys. That was fun. Let's very very quickly because we're running over a little bit. Let's just very quickly talk about Liverpool at the weekend. How are you feeling in general? Do you feel like we can win? Do you feel like we can draw? Do you think we're going to get over again? Sunday means a lot. Both of last season's games left a really sour taste. Yeah. The 145th minute injury time winner, Mm -hmm. the Isaac goal that potentially could have been onside, the home game, Nick Pope after 20 minutes, means a lot. I'm going for a 2 1 win. Yeah, I agree with that scoreline, um, Lee. I, I, I'm nervous. Mm. Um, I'm really, really nervous, particularly after what we said last week about the Man City game. But I do think St James's Park would be absolutely bouncing. I think there's no love lost for Liverpool. I think Klopp's comments will come back, hopefully, to bite him with his own teeth, um, and it'll it'll be a, it'll be a, you know a great day. But we're due a win against them. We haven't beaten them. Is it some, since 2015 or something? Did I? Did, yeah, 2015. 15, 16 season, yeah. 
I mean, we had due a, a win against Liverpool, so nervous but hopeful. I watched Eddie Howe's press conference today, and he was asked about the games last season. And what one thing that he said really stood out for me, because he said, he said. I, I have replayed the last minute of the game at Anfield so many times in my head. And I thought that is really interesting because that clearly still rankles, him, rankles with him. And that, I think he'll use that and the way Klopp's talked about us since then as fuel for his team talk and fuel to get at Liverpool. And yeah, I... I I am nervous about the game. I think Liverpool will be very dangerous in attack. I think their defence is there to be got at. I hope we, I hope we win. <laughs> That's all I can... I'm commonly known as Captain Shitpants amongst all of my friends. Um, so they'll be surprised to hear that I'm going for a victory on Sunday. But I, I, I just think, I think we'll have too much for them. Yeah. I said last week, if there's one team that we can beat this season... It would be these. I just, I just, I feel like we do other than one because I would of... probably say Luton before Liverpool. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I really want to. I really want to beat Liverpool. You know, I just yeah. and Klopp just annoys me. So we'll see. But I feel, I feel good about it. I think there'll be a reaction in terms of like performance. I think we'll be better. We're at home. St James's Park will be bouncing. And it's going to be quite fun. So. More than that, fifteen pints before kickoff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, right. This has been um, a lot of fun. So thank you, thank you very much. Thank you to everyone who's tuned in live. And uh, yeah, see you next week on Newcastle. Next week.